0: Are you thankful this morning for God's grace? How often this week have you thanked God for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for what He's done for you? It's a, a great reminder for us this morning. A great reminder to be thankful for all that God has done for us, but most importantly, thankful for His grace and saving us. What a beautiful thing! Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter nineteen. Matthew nineteen. Page 1047, if you're using a Bible provided, there's one under a chair near you, 1047. We get to an interesting passage this morning in our working through the Gospel of Matthew. And it leads me to a question that maybe has vexed some of you in days past, or maybe currently, what do we do with the kids? (laughs) What do we do with the children? There's somebody I know pretty well. Don't try to figure out who it is. All right? So, I don't want to throw them under the bus too much and I'm not sure I should say this in church, but someone who says to me at different times, especially when they've been around kids for a long time and it's getting to that point where they're 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 about ready to be done with kids, they say, hey, "Have I ever told you I hate kids?" Now, I know none of you would share that emotion, that feeling. This person doesn't actually hate kids, but there are times when we get to that point where I just can't take it any longer. Have I ever told you <laughs> I hate kids? Um, anyway, another thought, that's one, that's one way to respond to children. I'm not, I'm not recommending that, but that's one way to respond. Another way um, my, is a blast from the past, and this is a song that was going through my head. Unfortunately, it was a song going through my head this week. For some of you, it'll come back um, I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Is it? Are you hearing it? You're hearing Whitney Houston sing the song, The Greatest Love of All. I'm not recommending this song at all. If you listen to this entire song, I, I did not realize just how horrible this song was. But this was a famous song. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. That's, that's another response to children. And uh, that is a, a, a really... I mean this this I think that sounds like in the eighties you say eighties, yeah, that seems like just a few years ago to me, and that's also sad um, and uh <laughs> so we we've got different responses from our culture uh, from people we know of what do we do about the kids, but the question is what does Jesus think about children what What would Jesus do with the kids? what place do children have in the kingdom of God, and that is Our text before us this morning, before we dig into what the Bible has to say and what we learn from Jesus, let's pray together. Father, we need your help. We are dependent upon you, that your spirit would illuminate the scripture, that we might know the truth, and then that you would work through your spirit to change our hearts, that we would obey the truth, that we would be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. That's why we've come if that's not why we've come, Lord, change our motivations, that that might be true for us, that you might do a great work in us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 19, we're going to start in verse 13. I'll read 13 to 15. Please follow along. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This is God's word, God's divine revelation to us this morning. May we listen to it. You would think that in such a short passage, how can we find much to talk about this morning? And, and this passage, is it just it strikes me as odd. It's, it's hard to see how it fits in the context. It's hard to see where this goes and, and, and why Matthew puts it, put it, puts it here. And I don't have a lot of great answers for you. I have, I have more questions there. And because it is so different than anything around it, I had a hard time just kind of tagging that on to something else. Usually we cover much more scripture. Uh, So we're just going to focus on this. And one of the reasons for that is because the theme is this. King Jesus teaches his disciples about ministering to children. King Jesus teaches his disciples about ministering to children. And if you are to scour the New Testament... For Christ's teaching or the apostles' teaching on how and why and and the way that we minister to children, you're going to come up with very few verses. And because of that, there is much that is made about verses like this to build theologies and philosophies and practical applications. And so I want to sit on this passage a little bit, give you some thoughts, work through it, so that we can understand what we as individuals, but more importantly, what we as a church are to do about the children. Because we have some children here. And so this is not a message for children. It's a message about children. And I hope that children will pay attention as we walk through this. And so the question that we have to face as, as a church family, and, and that Jesus, I think, is addressing in, in one sense at least, is are children the most important group in the church? Are the children our future? We, we hear that a lot. The children are our future. And, and that's very true in one sense. It's easy to understand. You know, when all of us old people are dead and gone, these children, many of them will still be here. And so they will be the ones that carry that on. And, of course, that's true. So in one sense, there's, there's the idea that children are elevated. And some people's response is they're, they're elevated to the most important demographic in the, in the church. And, and really, we need to focus our time, attention, and finances and resources on children. That's one response. And, and there's another response. Now, s- children are, are simply to be endured in the congregation. Uh, some of you have heard this, seen and not heard. Seen, we, we, we like children to be seen and not heard. And, and I didn't realize where that came from until I read Little House on the Prairie books. And that's what they taught in Little House on the Prairie. Children are to be seen and not heard. That comes from the 1800s, at least, if not millenniums before that. Are children simply to be put up with? Or are they to be put aside or maybe is there a third way? So do we elevate them to, to the greatest importance or do we uh, lower them to the place of, of just kind of get them out of the way? They, they, they're, just, they're just difficult. Church is trying to start, or church is trying to deal, what do we do with the kids? And what do we do with the kids in the service? And what do we do with the kids during the week? And how do we minister to kids? And how do we minister to families? It's, it's, a, it's a real thing. It's a real struggle. It's a real question. So what do we see from the passage of Scripture before us? The first thing is I want you to see the situation. Children are being brought to Jesus for a blessing. This is just us looking at what the text tells us about what is happening. And this is a seemingly straightforward and simple passage. The complication comes when we try to understand what we are to take away from it. Here's what happened. And so the question is not necessarily what. The problem is not with the what. The problem is the so what with this passage. But I do want to bring out some things from the what. But before we get into that, I want to point out some Some helps in Bible interpretation and understanding. We must understand as we go to the Bible the difference between descriptive and prescriptive scripture. Descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive scripture is describing something. It tells us what happened. And that is true here. This is a narrative. It's a narrative section. Christ uh, does give some teaching in the narrative, but we have this narrative in front of us. It's describing something that happened. Sometimes in the narrative, it will tell us why it happened. It will give us a behind the scenes look, a a narrator's viewpoint. And sometimes we find that in the Gospels or frequently. Why did it happen? What were people thinking? What was their motivation? Sometimes the Bible tells us that, and sometimes it doesn't. If you read this passage and look at it, is the motivation told to us from any of the participants? Motivation of the children? The motivation of those bringing the children? The motivation of the disciples, the motivation of Jesus. Any, anybody? It's, it's really not there. We don't, we don't have any thoughts, anything added. There's no narrative, uh, narration brought to it. And so we're left with just, here's what happened. And, and for us as Bible-believing Christians are trying to extrapolate what that means for us. It's hard. Now this is different from prescriptive Scripture. Where either through the teaching of Jesus or through the letters of the apostles or other things, the Bible is telling us what we should do, what we must do. These are commands to be obeyed, activities that we must participate in, things we should not do. That's prescriptive. So you can think about that as you go through the Bible. As very often the problem comes when we take descriptive scripture and make it prescriptive. So people spoke in tongues in in the book of Acts. Is that a command for us to speak in tongues? Or is that just telling us what happened at a certain place in a certain time in church history? Do we take descriptive scripture and make it prescriptive? Is there a command in scripture? And so that's one of the ways to think through how to handle scripture generally. And so that helps us coming here. So some thoughts. Is there any prescriptive scripture... That commands us to lay hands on children and pray for them that's what's happening here children are being brought to Jesus he's laying hands on them and he's praying for them is there any command in scripture to do this think that through where, where are, the, are there any commands in scripture to bring children to Jesus is there a command here and so think think through that question These are the thoughts that come because it's easy to take something that did happen and turn what happened into a prescription, a command for what we must or should do today. So, the point is this be careful of reading too much into narrative passages of Scripture, especially those that simply describe what happened. And that's our passage this morning. Don't prescribe what Scripture only describes, don't preach or teach descriptions as prescriptions. So you say, well, if all we're going to talk about today is what happened because we can't have any prescriptions out of that. Well, trust me, I'm going to give you some implications from Scripture. But I don't want to turn implications, uh, things that we can draw out of Scripture and turn those into commands. That's That's the struggle. So if I do that today, you can catch me on it. So I think many people do that with this passage of Scripture because there's so little information on children's ministry and, children, and ministry to children in the church that we, we find one little thing and then we, we can blow up all kinds of um, commands and prescriptions out of that. So what's happening? Parents or people, it doesn't say, does it? It just says children are being brought to Jesus. Who's bringing them? It doesn't say specifically. We can assume parents... Or grandparents, because typically if kids are brought anywhere, it's by someone in the family. So that's a great assumption. I don't think there's any problem with that. Uh, I don't think they were getting kids off the street, so to speak, and and dragging them to Jesus. That would be kind of awkward and weird um, and and forcing a blessing upon them. That's, That's not the point here. But notice these are not disciples. These children are not disciples of Jesus, They aren't coming to Jesus on their own. They were brought to him. Someone else's action brings the children. So this is not the children's faith. It's not the children's act. This is the act of adults. Adult people, primarily parents probably. And this is why it is not the children who the disciples respond to, but to the people. So when when it says the disciples rebuked the people... In the the original language of Greek, it's really the disciples rebuke them. Who are the them? And the translator here says the them are the people bringing, not the children. And so you could translate it either way, but necessarily we're understanding that the activity that's happening is focused on the adults or the people, not the children. What is their purpose for bringing their children to Jesus? Notice that as well that he would lay hands on them and pray. That's the purpose. Again, what you need to see is that this is not about salvation or eternal life. So we're not seeing these kids are not being brought to Jesus to be saved. We're seeing this blessing and this prayer. And this is not about baptism. It's not about baptism, no matter how it is practiced. So what is happening? If you have an ESV study Bible, I I appreciate their help in this passage. It says, "A, a traditional manner of blessing children in Israel so you lay your hands on children, you bless them. You can see that in the Old Testament in multiple places. Especially when passing on a blessing from one generation to the next. So it, sometimes it's connected to generational blessing. From Abraham uh, to Isaac, and from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to his children. And so you see that kind of idea at the end of their life. We, we, we lay our hands on them, we confer a blessing. D.A. Carson, I think, gets it better than the ESV Study Bible. Children in Jesus' day were often brought to rabbis and elders to be blessed customarily placing hands on them. So can you pray for my children? They bring their children to the rabbi. They bring their children uh, to the elders. And they say, pray for my children. So it's a desire for children to walk with God, a desire for children to obey the commandments, those kinds of things. That's what's happening. Now, what are the responses? There's two responses. The disciples rebuke the parents. So you can see where I come down on. I believe these are predominantly the vast majority would be parents and the disciples rebuke them why why do the disciples rebuke these parents for doing this does it say i see one head shaking no does it say it doesn't say but if you read commentaries or if you listen to pastors, they're always happy to give their opinion on things that aren't specifically and explicitly said in Scripture. And I don't want to leave you without having some of that today of what it could be. We don't know exactly what it was. Notice it's a very simple passage, and we can't draw too much out of this. I've read this, and when I've read it, it came across to me, maybe where I heard, maybe I heard this somewhere, that the, the kids aren't worth Jesus' time. That the kids are an intrusion and a hindrance. Don't hinder the children coming to me, but the children are a hindrance in the disciples' minds for what Jesus should be doing. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's healing. He's working miracles. And now people want Jesus to to bless these kids. I mean, move the kids out of the way. Get the kids out of the way. Jesus got, Jesus, that's bad English. Jesus has important things to do. That's how I've heard this. Now, I'm not saying that's what it is. You can come up with your own uh, guess, because it, it is a guess. But what we need to remember, and we've looked at this back when we looked at Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4, is that in Jesus' day, in that society, children were not important or special near as much as they are today. Uh, children, you know, that, that, that idea that Whitney Houston sings about from the 80s, that didn't start in the 80s, but it's, it's, and it's grown. Uh, children are considered very, very, very important. In Jesus' day, no, not so much. They had really no status at all. Not that parents didn't love their children or didn't think that their children were important, but within society, children were not made much of. That's the point. And so do it for the kids was not something you'd heard them talking about in Jesus' day. You know, when the kids get older, we'll do it for them when they're adults. That's kind of the, the mentality. And in studying Matthew 18, we understand that children were the lowest in the hierarchy of authority, they're the lowest in decision-making. Uh, they were subject to adults. They were dependent on adults. And so children um, were, were, were to be seen and not heard in that day as well. So the disciples rebuked the parents. But what does Jesus do? The second response, Jesus rebukes the disciples. And that's where verse 14 begins with the contrast of the word but. But, Jesus said, they said, they rebuked. But Jesus said to the disciples, Jesus rebukes the disciples. They were the ones doing the wrong things. The parents were doing the right thing. They who are trying to hinder the children are doing the wrong thing. And so what does Jesus say? Allow, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. This is important. Where is the command in this passage? The prescription is don't hinder children from coming to Jesus. Don't hinder parents from bringing children to Jesus. If you want to draw just a straight prescription. Now, what does that look like? Because Jesus isn't here in the flesh. Like Jesus isn't up here this morning and parents are coming in by the hundreds, bringing their kids and they want to have Jesus pray for their child specifically, lay his hands on them and bless them and pray for them. Just think about that. Here Jesus is trying to teach. Here the disciples are trying to get Jesus where he needs to go and crowd control. And they can't get anywhere because these parents keep coming. Jesus, will you pray for my child? Will you, will you pray for my child? And, and you're thinking more in line of just trying to flesh that out. It's a toddler. It's a younger child. Just think of how, how much that would be here if every Sunday parents wanted me to pray for their children and bless them in the service. We, we would, it would bog things down even with our congregation just a little bit. So the, the thought there is don't hinder them from coming to Jesus. But Jesus isn't here, so what do we do with this passage? Well, before we get to that, I want to explain the why. Because Jesus does give us the why. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For, therefore, because, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Let me explain what I believe this is saying. Jesus is saying... Let children come to me. Do not hinder them or forbid them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like children. Drawing off of the teaching in Matthew 18 and using that as a foundation for the teaching here. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like children. So D.A. Carson, and I agree with his assessment here, says this, Jesus does not want the little children prevented from coming to him, not because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, so, what he's saying there is, you can read this, let the little children come to me because the kingdom belongs to kids. You can read that then, all kids go to heaven, all children are in heaven. Uh, everybody who's in heaven is going to look like a little kid. I, you, you can do weird things with that idea. And he says that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. But because the kingdom of heaven belongs to those like them, the word such is important, for to such, to, of like kind, of this kind, Belongs the kingdom of heaven. If you go back to Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4, you'll see why Jesus uses children as an example, a metaphor of the kind of faith, the kind of person, the kind of response to Jesus that gives people entrance to the kingdom. So he goes on, D.A. Carson goes on and says this, Jesus receives them because they are an excellent object lesson in the kind of humility and faith he finds acceptable. So where do we find in scripture anybody being said that the kingdom of heaven belongs to them? Who does the kingdom of heaven belong to? Well, I found, and back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, two places, verse 3 and verse 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Same idea. So who has entrance in the kingdom of heaven? The humble, the poor in spirit, and also in verse 10, those who are persecuted for righteousness. The holy, the righteous. Righteous. And those who've been persecuted for it. And so children are fit in that same category. This kind of people, these kind, and here the kind is pointing to the type. People like children. People who respond to Jesus like children. Why is that? Because children are dependent. Even here, they are dependent. They are being brought to Jesus. They're not coming on their own. They're being brought. These children are needy. They need Jesus' blessing. And so these children are a great example of saving faith, humility and trust, dependence and need. And that's where the gospel is connected here. And so Christ's major concern in rebuking the disciples is not so much focused on children, but children as a metaphor, as an example of what the kingdom is like. And so his focus is a gospel focus of who is in the kingdom. Not so much, what do we do with kids? So I want to make that really clear. I started off with, what do we do with children? And and you could say, well, wait a second. You seem like you were leading us to a certain place, and now you've taken a detour. No. Why this is included, primarily included, I believe, is for this very point. It's a gospel inclusion that Matthew's including here. That's the point, and why it's here, and why it's so important. If you are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven... You must be humbled like a little child. You must have absolutely no status. You deserve nothing. You've earned nothing. You, des- you get nothing. Think about that in our culture today. Think about the kind of people who go around thinking they are owed nothing. I have no rights. I have no privileges. I'm owed nothing. If I got what I deserved, I would get eternal fire in hell. That's what, If I got what I deserved... What do you deserve? You deserve nothing. Just Isn't that message, just, just let that sit. Isn't that message just radical? All you hear today, and I mean that. It's an exclusive, inclusive statement. All you hear today is what I deserve and what I'm owed and how valuable I am and how much I'm worth. How does anyone like that come to Jesus? They don't. They must see themselves as worthwhile or as 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 having the status of children absolutely no status whatsoever it's it's humility is necessary and then dependence i can't get to heaven on my own no good deeds no good works no activity no church going nothing i can do to save myself i am desperately needy on someone else to give me everything we sang all about grace unmerited favor grace unmeasured vast and free it drew me, it called me, it saved me, it redeemed me, it strengthens me, it helps me walk through the day. This is my neediness. I am just a child crying out to the Father. We are children of God. And we have nothing. That's the kind of people that get into the kingdom of heaven. Humble and dependent. That's why this is included. And that's why Jesus says what he says. He says, let them come because they are a gospel example. Of who gets into the kingdom. And in a minute, apparently, at least in the way that Matthew writes this, in a minute we're going to have the great question of what must I do to have eternal life? So in a sense, maybe Matthew is setting that up with this example. So if you have not humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God, if you've not realized that you deserve nothing, and that everything you have must come from God because of His grace, because of His mercy, then this is the opportunity today to trust in Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life, fulfilling God's command, something you could never and will never do. He died the sacrificial death, paying the price for all the sins of those who trust in him, so that if you trust in him today, you will be forgiven all your sins, past, present, and future. You will be redeemed. You will be set free. And then he rose again the third day, demonstrating that everything he did in his life, everything he did on the cross, was real and true and God the Father was satisfied in him and he brought him back to life our justification depends on the perfect life the sacrificial death and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ that's the good news trust in him and be saved today in humility and independence turn to him now that's that's the gist that's the main reason it's here But I want to take some time because it's not the only reason this passage is here. Jesus is ministering to children. This is an opportunity for us to think about how we minister to children, not just the gospel implications and the gospel focus. That's the main key. So Jesus ministers to to children. Jesus takes time for children. Jesus is happy that parents bring their children to him for prayer and the laying on of hands. So he responds to the parents' requests, he laid his hands on them, and then he went on his way. He did what they wanted. He he was happy to do what they wanted. These things go together. So what are the implications for that for us? So what, pastor? Understood the passage? So what? Well, let me just give another warning before I dig into what I think we can draw away from this. It is amazing how much theology we can build on one narrative mention. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Oh, we can take that half sentence and just build all kinds of things on that. And I don't want to do that today. I want to help maybe move away from some of that, how it's been, I would say, abused in the past. We can deduce much theology, philosophy, or practical activity from these simple mentions. And so much effort has been put into ministering to children based on this verse. Yet children's ministry is not the primary inclusion. It's not the primary reason it's here. It is a reason, but it's not the primary reason. It's a secondary reason. But I want to spend some time dealing with that secondary reason in this point. So what are the implications that we draw out? No prescriptions, just implications from the descriptions. And the one prescription, which is do not hinder children from coming to Jesus. The first thing I want to say is children must not be the primary focus of the church. Most people, when they preach this passage, will preach just, in a sense, the opposite. They will spend all their time talking about why children are so important, because that seems to be the importance of this verse. But before I get to that part, I want to say children are not the most important. That's why we get one section, one activity in Christ's ministry And have to build everything around it because it's not the key to his ministry. We take one occasion in the Gospels of Jesus doing this thing, and we want to make it something he did all the time. Now, this doesn't mean he didn't do it more often than one time, but we can't act as if we know that he did. It just What we're saying is that this activity doesn't appear to be a vital or even important part of his ministry, or it would be mentioned more often. So drawing the implication from that, a church that focuses primarily on children is missing the main audience. I believe if you, if you look through the Gospels and then the epistles, that adults, prim, uh, primarily and especially men, are Jesus and the apostles' primary audience. It doesn't mean that women and children are unimportant or unnecessary or, or lack any sort of worth. No, that's not the point. But where did Jesus spend his time? Where did the apostles Put their focus. And so drawing out of this passage, one of the things that when I became pastor here is I became uh, just, it, it started to, to grate on me that we spent so much time and resources on children. You have Children's Church and Children's Sunday School and Awana and VBS. And none of those things are bad. None of those things are wrong, I don't believe. But it seemed like we were spending, we were just doing all this work to minister to children. And the question that kept gnawing at me, and you've heard me say this before. I believe all of you, if you've been here very long, what about the adults? If Jesus was here, would he be spending four or five hours a week ministering to kids and two hours a week ministering to adults? Or would it be at least flipped? Kids So just draw these things together. So we have to be careful at making the church's ministry the primary focus because the children are our future. We've got to rescue the kids and save the kids. And one of the issues that comes with that is this. It seems as if, this is anecdotal evidence, that the more focus we put on kids, the less we've reached kids. The more focus we put on children's ministry, the less children have been saved, the less teenagers have been saved, and the less our kids are in church. I mean, some of you are old enough to remember when you didn't have youth group, when you didn't have children's church, when you didn't have all of these children's ministries, didn't have a one in this church until the early 90s. You remember those days and you say, it seems like the kids before those days were more prone to be Christians, stay faithful to church, go to church. Some of us grew up in that way. We we grew up spending most of our time with the adults, sitting through the long, boring services, uh, probably not near as long as this one, but long enough. But the more that we started seeing our kids slip away, the more we decided we need to focus on our children. And the more it seems, now, is it cause and effect? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's weird to think that the more we put emphasis on children, the less children have stayed, the less children have continued. So I'm questioning whether that's the right motive, and I'm questioning about using this passage in that way. So we we spend a lot of time focusing on children instead of focusing, I believe, as Christ did, he focused on families. But we didn't focus on families. We focused on children alone, children without, without their parents, parents dropping off their children, parents uh, bringing their children, dropping their children off at church ministry. And that is not what is happening here. This is not parents who bring children to Jesus and say, hey, we'll be back in a couple hours. Please disciple them up a little bit. Give them the gospel. We'll come back and pick them up when it's done. What time is this ministry going to be over with? All right, we'll be back. That's not what's happening here. These parents are bringing kids to Jesus for him to minister to them, but they're bringing them because they believe, because they have faith, because they want something to be done for their kids that they realize they cannot do. They bring their kids with them, not drop them off. So the faith of the parents is demonstrated in the action. It's not to do with the kids as much as it is the parents. But, so that's, Point one, point two, second implication, children must be included in the church. I am not saying from this position that, all right, we focus way too much on kids. No more kids ministry. Get rid of it. It's unbiblical. It's ungodly. Just focus on the adults. That is not what I'm saying. Children are not to be kept out of church. They are not to be put aside at church. Children are present in the ministry of Christ throughout. What I want you to think about is as Jesus is ministering to people, It's so easy for us to assume that because adults are the primary focus of that ministry, that kids aren't there. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, are children there? When Jesus feeds the 4,000, are children there? Why is Jesus healing children? I want you to look through the gospel. Just think about it from this vantage point. Who asked Jesus to heal the kids? Do the kids come to Jesus for healing or the parents come to Jesus to heal their kids? Notice the focus. But kids are there. They're involved. They're around. And so we can, it's very easy for us to say, hey, there was 4,000 adults. No, it's 4,000 men plus women and children. The idea is the kids are a part of the entire thing. So children, here's the implication. They must be welcomed with the, in the church, in the services, in the congregation, because children are to be a part of what is going on in the ministry of the church. Like children were a part in the ministry of Christ. It's, it's odd for us to think about this, but this is kind of how we think today. Like when they showed up for Jesus to teach, the apostles, especially the women followers of Christ, must have taken all the kids over there and taught them over there. Is that what we think happened? We have any scriptural evidence that the kids were separated away from the adult uh, teaching of Jesus so that they can be taught at their level for their? Or were the kids just there? Mom and dad came, and you didn't get a babysitter. You brought the whole family, and wouldn't you bring the whole family to see Jesus? And if you had the opportunity, wouldn't you bring your children to Jesus for him to bless them and pray for them? Yeah. This, is the, this is the point. This is why kids are here. This is why we want kids in here with us. We don't want to continue to tell them that until they reach a certain age, they can't understand or they don't belong. We don't want to hinder the children from hearing Jesus. You say, well, if we had their own thing, they would still hear about Jesus. There's no hindrance there. But that's not the example or the implications from Scripture, to separate them out, to get them out of the way so that we're not distracted by the noise. We're not uh, frustrated by uh, the difficulties of having kids with us. i got to reprimand my kids and it's so hard. Pastor, you don't understand. You're right. I don't. I get to preach while Tracy takes care of the kids. I love it. But I'll just say this. Anybody want to switch places? As long you know, I'll take, I'll take discipline and you take the preaching and we'll go from there. But you know I'm joking. Alright? You know I'm joking. So we don't simply forget about kids or relegate them to a place of no concern or get them out of the way so we can focus and learn. So what do we do? We include them. Include them. We seek to make them an active and involved part of what we are doing as adults. We bring the family to Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, they're with us. They sing with us. They pray with us. They listen to the sermon with us. They minister with us. And as a church family, we think and pray and brainstorm ways to include them as much as possible in everything that we are doing. We want our kids with us. We don't want to hinder them in being a part of the ministry of the church. And when they have a clear testimony of conversion and a clear understanding of baptism and church membership, we baptize them and we formally add them to the congregation. We want them to think that this is their church from the very moment they're born until the moment they join us formally and make it officially their church. That they say, we're a part of this congregation. We're a part of this church. We're not a part of a, just a youth ministry or part of a children's ministry. We are a part of the congregation. Now, what if you don't have any children at home? What can you do to build relationships with children in the church? You say, praise God, I don't have this problem anymore. I get to come to church without having to deal with kids. Amen. But what about the other kids? The kids that are here, the teens that are here, the children that are here. Are are you building relationships? What can you do to participate in bringing them to Jesus? Because it's so easy for us to be like the disciples, to hinder them by our attitude, by our actions as adults, because children, as the one person I started with the illustration, children can be annoying Children can be a hassle. They can be a bother. It's not easy. And so we as a congregation can have a mental attitude that makes it hard for children to be. Here. We can be a hindrance. Now, let me also say this. This doesn't mean that there's no place for age and stage graded ministry. Like I said before, it doesn't mean that any of those ministries are wrong. Here's the point. That ministry doesn't replace the congregation or the family. It supplements it. So we don't want to just have the congregation meet and then remove the kids. We want to have the congregation with the kids. And there are times when we can have the kids-only ministries. We can have the adults-only ministries. We can do all those things outside the congregation, outside the normal ministry of the church. Sure, that's great. Absolutely. And in doing this, I want you to notice the primary responsibility is on those who bring children to Jesus. Who brings children to Jesus? Third implication, parents' ministry and children's lives is incalculable. So parents, bring your children to Jesus. Ask Jesus to bless them through the gift of regeneration and faith. Pray for your children daily. Bring them daily to Jesus through the word. Read the word with them. Teach them about Jesus at home. Do family devotions. Do catechism. Begin at the very youngest age possible. We read bedtime stories to our children. We want to read stuff to our kids. We want them to develop those habits of reading and listening to books and those kind of things. Read them the Bible. Read them the stories. Teach them the truth at the youngest age. Read the Bible to them before they can talk, before they can read, before they go to school. This is the best way of preparing them to be brought to Jesus in the congregation. If you sit down on a regular basis at home, have your children sit still and listen to a Bible story, and talk about it, and then pray together—just ten or fifteen minutes—you are preparing them to sit for an hour and a half here at church. You say you don't realize how hard it is. Yes, I I do. But you you do that discipling work—that bringing them to Jesus at, at home so they can be a part of this. And we bring them into worship to be a part of the congregation. We want children to see you worship. Do your children see you sing? Do your children hear you praise God? Do they see you listening and taking notes and talking about the sermon? Do they see you responding? Do they see that at home? What do they see about your faith in Christ? We don't want to remove them from seeing you participate in worship. We want them to see that. We want them to join with us. We want them to look at you singing. We want them to look at the pastor raising his hands in worship and say, I guess it's hand raising time. Let's do it. All right. Pastor, put his hand up. We all put our hands up. No, none of you do that, but little kids do. All right? None of you follow my lead, okay? That's okay. <laughs> but that's what we do. So they see you, they see you worshiping God. Do they, they want to be like you? Do they want to be a part of it? Do they see you taking communion and say, I want to take communion? Do, do they want to be a part of that? We show them how to worship. What about those children whose parents don't bring them? Can you bring them to Jesus? The kids in your neighborhood, the grandkids, the great-grandkids, can you bring them? You bring them to sit with you in church? Can you bring them to the ministries of the church? Can you you have a gospel impact during the week? Can you reach out? Can we have evangelism to kids in a way that doesn't diminish the parent's responsibility? And do we have evangelism to kids whereby we don't want to just reach those children? We want to impact the parents, and we want to bring them as families to, to the church. So yes, invite the children in the neighborhood. Bring them with you. But then talk to the parents and invite the parents. My father came to Christ because somebody invited him and his sisters to church to come to Sunday school. His parents were not believers. They weren't going to church. But they were happy for two hours, two hours a week to give their kids up and have a quiet Sunday morning. Amen. And they brought them. And my father, I believe, is a nine-year-old. Trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. But what happened after that, by God's grace, is that his mom, my grandmother, got saved when he was a teenager, I think 13 or 14 years old. And then when he was 16, his, his dad started coming to church. Because we don't, we're not just satisfied with reaching the children. We want to reach the family. We want to invite the family. We want to reach moms and dads. We want to see family. We want to see generational Christians. That's, it's bigger than that. And don't forget, parents, it's your job to disciple your children Education is the responsibility of the home. It's the job of parents. And this includes spiritual education. And yet we have been conditioned for generations to send our children elsewhere for education. We, we, take, we, we, we outsource all of our education. Public school, public worship, public teaching, all of it is outsourced. Isn't it amazing how people who don't believe what we believe will give us their kids for us to indoctrinate them? Did that ever strike you as weird? Like, you don't agree with us, you don't believe it, but you're going to let us just hammer your kid week in and week out with all of this crazy stuff? Praise God for that, in one sense. But don't be like them. Don't be those who give the indoctrination off to others. Be the main source for all their education, but especially their spiritual education. Pray for your kids, disciple your kids, and may we as a church family prioritize children in the right way.